0: Welcome to Episode 5 of the Planning Life Insights of Brian, a podcast looking into the practical things you need to know to navigate your business through the UK planning system. Today, we're looking at the regulations that came into force from September to amend the 1987 use classes order, grouping a range of uses currently in different use classes into one giant commercial, business, and services use class. Shops, financial and professional services, restaurants and cafes, office, gyms, healthcare and childcare are now grouped within a new Class E. This is all part of government's efforts to support UK high streets adapting and diversifying, a trend well in evidence before the terrifying catalyst of COVID-19 restrictions. But now, it's even more important for business, retail and certain hospitality premises to respond quickly to changes without needing to apply for permission as much as they used to. We recognize that the alphabet soup of the use classes order makes even the eyes of planning lawyers glaze over, and I don't think I speak only for myself there. Sometimes it sounds like an uninspired children's game. A1 shops, A3 restaurants and cafes, B1A offices, bingo. But use classes can mean prizes. The changes go to the heart of whether high streets in this country will be revitalized or to accommodate the latest business models. or or they just continue on a downward trajectory to becoming inactive ghost towns in many cities. So what does the updated use classes order mean for landlords with high street portfolios, tenant unit operators and and developers trying to deliver new mixed use schemes? My name is Sheridan Traeger, senior associate in the planning team of law firm Brian Cave Leighton Paisner. And today I'm joined by colleagues, Claire Eccles, uh, our team's dedicated knowledge development lawyer, and Joseph Tyler and Jessica Lowe, First seat Trainees. will also be getting views from John Sayer, Senior Director at CBRE, Sarah Bevan, Planning and Development Program Director at London First and BCLP Partner, Giles Pink. Good afternoon, everyone.
1: Good afternoon. Good afternoon.
0: Before we dive into the legal changes, let's just get a bit of context. A sense of where the UK High Street is and where it seems to be going. We caught up with John sayer of CBRE
2: earlier the the u k high street i think is has undeniably um, seen some some radical changes um over the last few years and certainly long before um, any of the, the impact of, of covid nineteen has, has been felt i think one of the the, the the key points to take home is that um people no longer need to go to a high street in the way that they used to many many years ago and uh, and a lot of that is is driven particularly by um Good services that, that are available online um, the key i think important thing going forward is actually that that we need to m- try and make sure that people want to go um, to their local high street in order to, to to try and bring back some of the vibrancy that that's certainly been lost in in, in recent years because I know many people. Uh, look around in their high street and think, well, there's certainly a lot of number of brands or independent stores that that, that, that are no longer trading. Um, and that's a particularly difficult situation to try and sort of resuscitate the high street and, uh, and, and bring things back to life. I think that um, certainly this this, this use classes policy here that the government are bringing forward um, will certainly play um, a, a role in all of that, but we, we, we can perhaps discuss that a little bit further later on.
0: Now, before we all get lost in use classes bingo, we just need to reel back a moment and refresh our memories on how use classes work. Claire, what's a good starting point?
3: Well, it must be that anything falling within the statutory definition of development requires planning permission under the Town and Country Planning Act. But development isn't just operations or work. If you change the use of land or buildings, that could also be development, requires planning permission if it counts as a material change of use enter the
0: 1987 use classes order kind of like enter the dragon but no helpful subtitles
1: in the spirit of legal accuracy sheridan i'd just like to point out that enter the dragon is a bruce lee film from the 70s not 1987 and it's largely lost on me as the 70s is more than 20 years before i was born So the 1987 Use Classes Order groups common uses of land and buildings into classes. Uses within each class are for planning purposes considered to be broadly similar to one another. And because they are seen as broadly similar to each other,
3: moving from one primary use to another within the same class is not development and therefore does not require planning permission.
0: Now, enter the General Permitted Development Order. 2015, rather than the 70s, but still, not a bad movie because it included a national grant of planning permission, which allows you to change between certain use classes without having to make a planning application to the local planning authority. There is an underlying principle that you can change where you're moving to a use of lesser amenity impact. For example, no problem going from a hot food takeaway to a shop, but going the other way, you need planning permission. Think about it as if you were a kid in your parents' home. If you have a messy room with used pot noodles all over the place, you're assumed to have parental consent to tidy up your room and stop doing things that bother your siblings. But if you're the goody-two-shoes of the family and suddenly you want to put up grungy posters on the windows and play drums all day, you need to check with mum and dad.
3: You should explain where three generous fits in.
0: Okay, lawyers always love a bit of Latin and will follow the horrible histories approach sui generis means of its own kind depending on how you see it that either means you're a use that is a bit special or it's kind of a form of bullying within the use classes system i once saw a t-shirt with the outline of a circle and a dot sitting well outside an arrow pointed to the outline circle saying this is the circle of trust and the arrow pointing to the dot outside said and this is you i wouldn't push the analogy too far but basically the dot is sui generis and it's for uses of land or buildings that don't clearly fit within the use classes order.
3: And um, yeah, you could press it like that. When no use classes order category fits, the use of the land or buildings is described as three generous. Examples of three generous uses include scrapyards, petrol stations, taxi businesses, and casinos.
0: Um, also, there is a clear uh, primary overall use of the site and other uses are ancillary. So the use class category is the primary use and you ignore the ancillary uses. For example, uh, in a factory with an office and a staff canteen, the office and staff canteen would normally be regarded as ancillary to the factory. They don't really count. But if you're a planning unit being used for different uses, which fall into more than one class on a broadly equivalent scale, then again, you're a bit special and the overall use of the land or buildings is regarded as a mixed use that can also be sui generis.
3: That's right. And the key thing for our purposes is that if you want to change from any use to a sui generis use or vice versa, you need express planning permission from the planning authority, and you don't benefit from permitted development rights.
0: Getting back to the high street, it's all a bit fiddly because until September, There were so many different use classes that were relevant to your average high street these days.
4: You had Class A1, shops, Class A2, financial and professional services, Class A3, restaurants and cafes, Class A4, drinking establishments, and Class A5, hot food takeaways. You then also had Class B1A, offices, and Class D2, assembly and leisure.
0: Okay, so uh, thank you, Cho. As you illustrate, high street use classes were pretty granular even though retail models continue to evolve across some of these uses. Take, for example, uh, coffee and sandwich shops across our nation's high street, uh, streets, with, with a seating area to eat in and a bit of hot food to take out to boot. Whilst permitted development rights allow you to switch between some uses, they can restrict switching, without planning permission, to some uses that are quite modern and seem quite odd to restrict. It's like being in one of those nightmare Los Angeles urban highways with a dozen lanes made worse because you can switch only between some lanes and not others.
1: Before September, you could change from a restaurant to a shop but not back from a shop to a restaurant. Presumably because of concerns you were moving to a use that caused more amenity issues.
0: Exactly, Jess. So some have long been calling for a broad high street use, allowing most typical high street users to switch between each other without needing planning permission. The idea being that this would allow more commercial premises to totally repurpose without planning permission as and when to maintain the vitality and viability of the high street, but also to recognize that it's all a bit complicated. Some high street buildings have more than one use at a time or at different times of day, and they don't want to end up in the sui generis bracket outside of the circle of trust, meaning they need permission to change to anything else. That's clear, that clearly was going to appeal to a free market, embracing government that abhors uh, red tape. So, Joe and Jess, what's new?
4: Well, from the 1st of September 2020, other than in very limited circumstances, everything in use classes A, retail, class B1, business, and class B, non ready institutions and assembly and leisure, has been permanently scrapped.
1: And instead, these uses are being... Re- reacted into new Class E, commercial business and service, new Class F1, learning and non-residential institutions, new Class F2, local community, and sui generis uses.
0: Thank you, guys. Let's unpack this a little. Joe, tell me about Class E. Does it blend sumptuous comfort, refined and tech in a stylish executive package, like the E-Class, of a particularly famous German car manufacturer?
4: Well, I suppose in its way, it does. The New Class E, Commercial, Business and Services, is a wide and diverse grouping of uses and includes retail uses, cafes and restaurants, financial and professional services, formerly in Classes A1, A2 and A3. It also includes gyms, formerly in Class D2, medical services, formerly in Class D1, children's nurseries, formerly in Class D1 and then offices research and development facilities and some industrial uses, formerly in class B1.
0: So it sounds, Joe, like you're getting to a more high street use class um, and scope for changing between uses you'd see on a modern high street without needing planning permission. Jess, tell us about the new F classes.
1: Class F is split into class F1, which is learning and non-residential institutions. This now incorporates all of the former Class D1 uses. They were non-residential education uses, art galleries, museums, libraries, public halls and public worship or religious uses and law courts, except for medical and health services, which are allocated to Class E.
0: And that's because medical and health services, like GP practices, are seen as part of the modern high street, so you should be able to switch uh, to them from, say, a shop.
1: Yes. And then you've got F2, local community uses, which is small essential shops, so less than 280 square metres, where there are no other such uses within 1,000 metres. Then community pools, outdoor sports or recreation areas, and indoor and outdoor swimming pools and skating rinks. Other than small essential shops, these uses formally fell within class D2. What
0: sticks out in class uh, F2? are these small essential shops which are not in class E, uh, the high street use. Government is clearly trying to protect small, slightly isolated local shops for local communities. Uh, and you can't just flip those into the range of class E uses. You'd need planning permission. Quite unusual, uh, I think, to have a use class dependence, not only on what you are, but what's going on around you. N- no other local community shops within a thousand meters.
3: That's right. Um... But the PPG has been updated, and it does clarify that whether a shop falls within this yeast class F2 is based on an assessment of facts of the case at the time of the determination. So, yes, it is something that can change over time.
0: Then we, then we come to the, the newly categorised sui generis bad boys we were discussing. What are you going to do when the need for planning permission comes for you, Joseph?
4: That's right, Sheridan. The non-exhaustive list of sui generis uses you always need planning permission for is expanded to include drinking establishments, which were formerly in class A4, hot food takeaways, formerly in class A5, and as well as these formerly class B2 uses, venues for live music performances, cinema, concert halls, bingo halls, or dance hall.
0: I'm not sure how many dance halls there are anymore, but um, Claire, say you were an A1 retail shop. Do you transition automatically to your new e-use class uh, from the 1st of September, uh, or do you need any prior approval or application?
3: No, there are no restrictions or prior approvals required before a use under the old use classes can migrate to their new use class. The transition to the new class on the 1st of September was automatic and movement between uses within the newly allocated classes as of right.
0: As ever, with movement within use classes, if there are changes needed to the external appearance of the building that could still count as development, you'd need permission. Uh, but it wouldn't be about the principle of the use.
3: Exactly. External works to shopfront, for example, could need an application for planning permission. Also, don't forget you might have planning conditions or Section 106 obligations, which restrict you benefiting from the full scope of the new class. You might also need listed building consent if you're listed, and be mindful that this could be a way for planning authorities to exert some level of control in whether to grant permission for external works or listed building consent. And you'll need to check the terms of your lease, any restrictive covenants on the title.
0: Okay, that's helpful. And, and it changes within a use class, most obviously within the use class E, and the use classes order and the NPPG are clear that where you're using a building for any of the various purposes of the same use class, that doesn't count as development, so you don't need planning permission. Which is why you now, as a starting point, don't need permission to move back and forth between a restaurant and shop anymore. They're both now in Class E, instead of in different lanes of the motorway. But let's talk about permitted development rights between different use classes.
3: Well, this is a good point, because this is not totally clear yet. There is a transitional period between the 1st of September and the 31st of July 2021 where your property keeps the permitted development rights it had based on the classes as they stood before these regulations came into force at the start of September. So
0: it's kind of like a bedding down period.
3: Quite, exactly. And by July 2021, there are supposed to be new revised permitted development rights introduced, which reflects the new Class E and S uses. During this bedding-down period, any Article 4 directions in place remain in force.
4: Just to refresh everyone's memories at this point, Article 4 directions can be made by local planning authorities to restrict the permitted development rights anywhere in the authorities area.
0: Indeed, Joe. But let's be clear, government is serious about this because councils can't put a dampener on movement within the new E-class through Article 4 directions, as Article 4 directions can only stop development under permitted development rights between different use classes, kind of as some did on Office to Resi. But again, movement within a use class doesn't even count as development and can't be stopped by an Article 4 direction.
3: That's true. And the National Planning Policy Guidance has been updated to confirm that Article 4 directions cannot be used to restrict changes of use between uses in the same class of the use classes order. But councils might look to put in place Article 4 directions if the new permitted development rights in July 2021 allow unforeseen jumping off points elsewhere out of the broad Class E.
0: Claire, presumably the point of this transition period is to give landowners a good go at making use of existing permitted development rights to change the use something else if they're one of the losers from these changes.
3: Yes, I think that's right. And for developers with new applications for planning permissions submitted before the 1st of September, but granted afterwards, i.e. there's not neatly falling one side of the line or the other.
0: Obviously, uh, I think if you put in a planning application now, you just use the new use class as ENF. But how does it work, Claire? You submitted a planning application before September and it gets determined now, basically.
3: The application has to be determined by reference to the old use classes, and you can't change your planning application. same for a permission of principle or reserved matters approval. So it's not clear whether the resulting planning permissions will refer to the old or new use classes, or both, As strictly speaking, with the way the legislation is drafted, it seems you might not be able to, and the updated PPG doesn't provide any guidance.
0: Uh, Some of the London boroughs seem to be consulting on the basis of the old uses, uh, following an application for permission, but the permissions themselves, they say, will reference the new uses. I think you just need to be wary of unintended consequences if you open up the description of development to, say, the full E-class. For example, is all of your environmental or other assessment work still a valid basis for the decision?
1: I think that's right.
0: Um, Let's. And I think Giles will talk about this a bit later. Let's talk about winners and losers from these changes. This must be positive for landlords trying to fill vacant units, particularly in primary retail areas where local planning policies favour Class A1 retail uses. But one person's flexibility is another person's uncontrolled development, isn't it, Claire?
3: Indeed. And the new Class E on its face must undermine town centre policies and local plans which is how authorities control the character and uses in these areas. For example, with policies that identify primary and secondary retail frontages in town centres or active frontage policies. and introduction of the new class E leads to a proliferation or over-concentration of certain types of use, no doubt the ones for which landlords can command the highest rents, which could lead to a more, office, more office uses on some high streets, That would stimulate economic activity and promote a more mixed economy in some cases, um, but lead to less active frontages.
0: But local authorities seem to have lost the battle during consultation for prior approval of some of the various uses within E-Class. That means it'll definitely be harder for them to plan their high streets, and there could be an impact on the vitality of their shopping areas as they see it. I also saw that when these changes were consulted on, there was a lot of local authority worry that merging the A1, A2 and A3 use classes would mean a lot of restaurant uses without any control over impacts from longer opening hours and and noise and odor. There was also a lot of concern over fast food restaurants and impacts on the health of local residents and local amenity. But arguably, it seems to me, where have those policies got local authorities anyway? I've been involved over the years in a few appeals where a landlord has a queue of high-end global brand hot food takeouts in central London just waiting to take a a lease of a unit. Um, But the landlord's been struggling for a few years to get a decent covenant A1 retail tenant. And the borough is still holding out against the market through its policies for keeping up a flagging retail frontage that was famous for certain kinds of shops back in the 60s, even longer before Jess was born. Um, But I don't think policies can hold back longer-term market trends. I think many authorities will welcome the vitality this flexibility will bring, but others won't. Claire, what could they what could councils do if they wanted to frustrate this flexibility?
3: Well, as we discussed earlier, they cannot stop movement within the new class E for units falling within one of those E uses already. They could try and use the Article four directions we discussed earlier to prevent the operation of permitted development rights which could prevent a change into, say, Class E from other use classes. But there's nothing authorities can do to restrict the application of the youth classes order itself. However, one way that authorities could potentially seek to control movement between the subclasses of Class E could be to refuse planning applications made for external or internal works that are needed to bring about the change of use. for example, there may need to be a change to the frontage, which might need planning permission. But probably the focus for authorities will be on trying to impose conditions on new planning permissions that limit flexibility between the different uses within Class E. And there is precedent for this, particularly for planning permissions for out-of-town retail parks where the retail sale of certain goods is often prohibited or restricted by planning conditions. Also, the planning practice guidance has been changed to account for these new consolidated high street use classes. And though there is nothing really as categorical as you'd expect in it, in it to influence how strongly they can justify continuing a preference for certain uses in frontages and at certain locations, there are some useful hooks if you're looking for a change that is contrary to existing policy.
4: Yes, I saw the MPPG confirms that Class E uses are those that principally serve the needs of visiting members of the public and or are suitable for a town centre area.
0: OK, that's interesting, Joe, um, because that's a material consideration. National guidance is saying in terms that any Class E uses are suitable in planning terms in a town centre location. And a local plan trying to restrict some e, uh, class uses along a town centre frontage can't sit easily in the planning balance with that.
4: Quite. And in the same vein, the NPPG updated guidance on flexible use on the high street also stresses that these changes have been introduced to support high streets and town centres.
3: But under the updated PPG, it's still up to plan-making authorities to decide on the timings for review of their relevant local plan policies in their local plans. So some may plough on regardless and not update their local plans, or continue with their emerging local plans, and policy justifications not to allow full flexibility in certain locations.
0: But the revised PPG may start moving the tectonic plates on existing permissions, which contain a condition restricting the use, where that use has, in principle, been totally opened up by the new E-Class. We'd have to look at the wording of the restricted condition. um, But unfortunately, even if it looks back to the old uses, the changes to the use classes order don't override pre-existing planning conditions. And the updated PPG is clear on that. But there are still moves to make in the use classes bingo game. You could apply to vary or remove the condition with a Section 73 application, or maybe even a Section 96A non-material amendment application if you can get it. And the authority should have regard to the new regulations in deciding those applications, and and the PPG updates confirm that. If the local authority refuses that application, you might well have justifiable grounds to appeal to the planning inspectorate. For example, what's the justification in a retail unit for a typical bulky goods condition when it's no longer consistent with the revised use classes order? The order lets you change a gym into a retail unit selling whatever goods you want, and this is a legislative change imposed nationally with no spatial limitation. Um, but I think it's one you know where, where, where you know you should look at the details and and take legal advice.
3: That's right. It would have been useful if the MPPD provided a bit more guidance around how Section 73 applications to remove user restrictions in out-of-centre locations should be dealt with in light of the changes and the weight to be given to the amendment regulations and town centre first policies in the determination of such applications. But as you say, there are hooks in the PPG, and I agree, the new E-class will start to unravel a lot of existing town centre policies over time.
0: The, the, I think what will happen is there'll, there'll be a few landmark appeal decisions from the planning inspectorates and Secretary of State, and then I think you'll see a real deluge. Uh, I caught up with John at CBRE on whether he thinks local authorities will embrace the flexibility of Class E.
2: Local authorities, I think, in in fairness to them, they, they they've got quite a a challenging role on on their hands because um, certainly in in my experience and a, a lot of my Day-to-day role at, at CBRE focuses on um, town centre and shopping centre renewal and, and regeneration projects, and I know that um, often local authorities try to, to to effectively create a position of stewardship for their their high street, and it can can often be be deemed by many as as the jewel in the crown and, and and the important aspect of the local borough um, that they're operating in. The, the challenge they have is that they don't necessarily have the same tools in the box as a, an asset manager of a major shopping centre might have. And um, it, it isn't always possible for, for them to to sort of implement asset management strategies without the ownership and all the other things that, that might come through with the benefit of, of leasing, et, et cetera. My, my, my personal experiences um, elsewhere has, has been that sometimes... Um, In the old use classes system that that, that local authorities have really tried to to influence or certainly deter uh, certain types of uses that that, that they deem um, undesirable within their high streets or or in a way that tries to encourage um, other uses. I think um, that that certainly uh, can be beneficial in some circumstances, but I think the important thing is to, to set out the right vision for the high street and why uh, people are going to want to go back there and to try and ensure that that, those, that range of mixed uses is there to attract people. And, and so I think that, that influencing that through use classes um, can be a positive experience and, and hopefully um, some local authorities will, will actively embrace it.
0: I also caught up with Sarah Bevan at London First, a business campaigning group with a mission to make London the best city in the world to do business. Something along the lines of the use classes reforms are something London First has been campaigning for as part of a wider programme to support London's high streets. This is what she's seen on the local planning authority reaction to the use classes changes.
5: Well, I'm already hearing from some of the planning consultants in our membership that they are having authorities trying to apply restrictive planning conditions. Um, so that it restricts Class E back to the traditional A-1 or B-1 uses. Um, And they're using their A-1 and B-1 protection policies in the local plans as justification. So actually, I think this is going to take some time to kind of feed through the system, because until those local plans go through review and they have to be shown to be consistent with national policy, which is now um, pushing for flexibility with Class E, you know those policies are going to remain in place and it could still be quite challenging for landlords and landowners
0: i i, I guess we'll, we'll just have to see how it plays out claire you mentioned that in granting planning permissions for new schemes councils could impose a planning condition limiting flexibility to change within class e for example as they limit uh, using permitted development rights right now um, and uh, back in the day when councils limited internal mezzanine works in retail for new permissions for out-of-town stores because they were worried that you you could get away with you know quite chunky amounts of extra floor space without planning permissions because you know with with mezzanine works and that brings to the fourth that class e is divided into paragraphs which each each separately correspond to retail sale of goods cafe restaurant professional services uh, or indoor sports so it's not a jamboree if you're making a planning application for class e you need to think about what it means to pitch your application as widely as every single different use in every single paragraph that falls within Class E.
3: I think that's right. And you'll have to assess any impacts, retail, transport, environmental, based on a reasonable worst case scenario of how much or little flexibility you're seeking in your application. And councils will then capture your assumptions through planning conditions which might well mean restricting use to only apply to part of class E.
0: And uh, we caught up with BCLP partner uh, Giles Pink on this, as he's done a fair bit of advice on considerations and risks for seeking an open E-class consent.
6: So it's, it's quite uh, tempting to, and, and, and I've had clients approach me um, with uh, major development proposals, it's quite tempting um, to, to think that the change to the use class order actually now gives a green light to seeking open Class E consent. Um, uh, uh, And and what's not to like about that, given the breadth of the uses that now fall within Class E? Um, There are, however, some some concerns with that approach, which make it, in practice, probably more uh, complicated um, than it may first appear. Um, and, and, And therefore, there needs to be a proper... Proper strategy set out as to how you will approach um, those development proposals and and how you will describe the development in the planning application. Giles expanded on taking a step back
0: and considering how the new E class considerations still fit into the UK's plan
6: led system for new applications. Um, so, so national policy, which which hasn't changed in the in in the light of this, and and, and planning the planning practice guidance, which which also um it's been updated to reflect the new uh, use class order amendment but but hasn't changed in these respects um has a town centre first um uh, policy has a, a a recommendation that a town centre strategy ought to be um uh, devised um so that there is a strategic approach to the laying out of uses within town centres so that might um identify primary retail frontages secondary retail frontages balance of uses between the former a classes so you know not 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 to have too many non-a1 uses um in a particular zone or area um and and so there is a you know a plan first policy um approach which is which is right and which is long-standing um in relation to town centers um there is and again it's been a a long-standing retail policy um objective through ppg6 and pps6 and and now the mppf um th- there is a um, a sequential approach um, to retail development proposals um what all this means is if you are promoting a scheme within a town center or that has main town center uses as part of it um so in in effect class e um there are some uh, hoops. Um, through which you must jump giles
0: then stressed how defining a clear mixed use scheme for local authority determination remains more key than it used to be for a successful and robust planning decision where class e is involved
6: here's giles and even if actually um you don't fall into those categories so let's say you're in in a in a large metropolis such as central london um where there's a a more nuanced approach to 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 planning policy in, in, in this respect. Um, you've still got to promote a scheme that can identify the benefits of that scheme, that can identify the impacts of that scheme, and that can identify the mitigate and that can offer up mitigation or allow the council to determine what mitigation should be imposed and apply by way of planning obligation or planning condition to that scheme in order for a local authority to make a decision on a planning application to grant planning permission that is robust and defensible in the face of a legal challenge it must know what it is determining and it must um, be able to identify understand what a scheme is um, in order to identify its impacts and land use goes some way to um uh, in, in fact it goes a large way to help identify those impacts and those benefits. So, in other words, when the council looks to carry out its planning balance, does it have the information and the assessments that it needs in order to carry that out in a robust way? Um, and can that be done without having any indication, whatever, of the uses that will form part of that development? Because if it's open uh, class E, it could all be offices, it could all be retail. Um, It could be any sort of mix of of both with some A2 thrown in. Um, Who knows? So it's really important that there is a carefully laid strategy as to how to present the application and how the assessments that will support the application are devised, Um, uh, particularly with environmental impact assessment. I mean, it, it is if you are going to assess... A realistic worst-case scenario for the purposes of EIA, um, you're going to need to know, or, or at least in 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 some respect, be able to um, outline what your what your scheme is. Um, those, to me, lead to a much more um, uh, a requirement for a much more carefully judged uh, application and description of development than simply open class E. Um, it really does have to be to be thought about carefully because um, uh, the council obviously is able, through planning conditions, to limit the ability of, of uh, the, limit the ability to rely on permitted development rights or or, or, the, or use class order for, for change of use. So so it, it's really quite important that these considerations are are, are taken account of.
0: Good stuff. Um, and I've, and we've also looked at this on the community infrastructure levy, haven't we?
1: to say the community infrastructure levy shorted to SIL is a kind of tax levied by local authorities on new development based on new floor space to help them deliver infrastructure in their area. Yes, that's right. And council charging schedules
3: specify what types of development are liable for fill and the relevant rates. Different rates are often set by reference to different intended uses of the development. And most charging authorities set rates by reference to uses in the use classes order. Still charging schedules continue to operate as usual from the 1st of September 2020. And you still look at references to the old use classes, even though technically they have been scrapped.
0: And I suspect it all depends on how the current charging schedules are formulated. But if your new planning permission gives you full reign within Class E, full flexibility, you might expect to have to pay the highest available tariff. Another reason you might think about specifying something narrower than Open E Class.
3: That's probably right. But as time goes by, charging schedules will be reviewed and will respond to the new class E.
0: There there must be enormous valuation implications for this. Think about rent review. If if user covenants allow for the full flexibility of the new E class, I wonder if you could end up with an historic shop unit on a secondary retail frontage, now possibly also a restaurant, more valuable than a brand new shop in a new mixed-use development around the corner, subject to a restrictive planning condition. And think about when you come to how you determine existing use value in viability assessments let's hear what john at cbre thought
2: the um the, the impact on on valuation i i think that um this is something that, that certainly people are going to, to keep an eye on um in the future but i think i think it might not necessarily have a um an immediate impact on the market certainly thinking about um the 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 investment sector here where where typically people will be occupying buildings under leases where there are going to be particular um use clauses in in that lease means that uh, perhaps we're not going to see an immediate change in terms of uses and occupiers uh, from day one on this and i think that, that that's something that will filter down over time i think from a, a an investor's perspective um Certainly, being able to 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 quickly sort of swift between different different uh, potential tenants uh, potentially does boost the 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 the, uh, the interest that would be in your property, um, which may in some market circumstances have a have a positive effect on the rent uh, payable if if it means there's an introduction of extra competition. And in addition to that, with, if there is additional competition, there, there's also the ability that things such as void periods are reduced, all of which has a, has a positive impact on value.
0: Now, I know we've been advising on a lot of user clauses in leases. We caught up with Rebecca Chambers from our real estate team uh, on this point of particular interest to landlords. We asked her, what if a landlord with an existing lease granted before the 1st of September doesn't particularly want a sudden change to the full realm of possibilities allowed by Class E, their first Class A1 retail shop suddenly becoming a nursery. Here's Rebecca.
7: Well, it depends what the lease says. If the user clause says, for example, Class A1 of the Use Classes Order 1987, as enacted at the date of this lease, the tenant can't automatically use the premises for any other use, as the lease entrenched in time by reference to the old version of the Use Classes Order, what the premises use can be. But if the lease doesn't have that kind of wording, you should have someone carefully review it.
0: We also asked Rebecca what landlords could do to prevent a tenant from changing use within a use class in new leases now that we've passed September 2020.
7: Landlords just need to think carefully about which parts of the new use classes they're happy for tenants to benefit from. um, And we can then draft up the lease as needs be. I think we can be specific about the exact use rather than just referring to a whole use class. For example, high-class office use, or we could refer precisely to one of the particular paragraphs of class E, e.g., E A for the display or retail sale of goods, rather than all of class E. And we can include a list of prohibited uses to avoid any arguments about what use is for within the permitted use. Now,
0: coffee. Where would lawyers be without takeaway coffee and sandwiches? A lot of coffee shops and sandwich shops uh, chains had been uh, taking class A1 retail units, even though their business models included selling food and drink for consumption on the premises, which normally falls within use class A3.
3: That's right. They either did not apply for planning permission to change to A3 restaurant use, or if they did, they often would refuse permission, some authorities feeling that there were already too many coffee or sandwich shops on their high street.
0: The question had always been, whether there were enough takeaway sales of drinks and cold food for it to be the dominant use versus the seating capacity. Did you have too many tables and chairs tipping you into a class A3 restaurant use? And were your sales of takeaway hot food enough to tip the unit into class A5 hot food takeaway? You had to really bend your business model to fit A1 retail. But this is a good example of how it's worthlessness listeners' wiles To to follow the gobbledygook of use classes, bingo. A1 and A3 are both now in the new Class E. So the the argument over whether you had too many tables versus takeaway sandwich sales is now over.
3: Yes, the tenants selling a range of hot food and cold food. It may be be with a sit-in area, but the majority of sales are to customers taking away food. Instead of the A1 versus A3 argument, we now have a E versus sui generis point, and that's all a question of fact and degree. However, for units that were a genuine mixed use, for example, A1, A3, just before the changes came into force, because the mixed use is sui generis, the use remains sui after the 1st of September. And there's nothing in the new regulations that automatically reallocates sui generous uses to class E. So in this respect, the changes don't improve the position for users in this category. It would have been useful to have some updated guidance in the PPG around this point, but unfortunately, this is lacking. But the changes are slightly more helpful to the sandwich coffee shop operators who are able to say that their operations were wholly or primarily within class A1 or A3 on the 31st of August, as these users will now fall within classes EA or E B.
4: Yes, you'd expect them to fall within both. Plus EA, for the display or retail sale of goods, other than hot food, principally to visiting members of the public. And class EB, for the sale of food and drink, principally to visiting members of the public. A consumption of that food and drink is mostly undertaken on the premises.
0: I suppose, uh, Joe, the question is now whether you've got too much hot food takeaway for the sale of, of, of hot food, where consumption is mostly off the premises, because that tips you into a generous use. But you would have thought that the odd takeaway items ought to stay on the right side of this line for most local authorities, as they're mostly worried about hot food takeaways that create litter, odour, or public order issues. Um, but there might be uses that straddle or cross the line. And in every case, there's a careful judgment to make. And I suppose, as before, you know, there'll be differences across local authority boundaries. But one illustration of how this all really matters is that a, a community action group has issued a judicial challenge uh, against, amongst other things, the use classes order changes we've been discussing. That was in August. Jess, tell us more.
1: So, the grounds of challenge on the change of use rules include asserting that the government unlawfully failed to carry out an environmental assessment under the Strategic Environmental Assessment Directive and the Environmental Assessment of Plans and Programs Regulations. They also argue that the Secretary of State failed to have due regard to the public sector equality duty, as well as failed to conscientiously consider responses to the consultation.
0: So where are things now?
1: At the start of September, they withdrew their interim relief application. So the use classes order changes stand until the case is decided. There's a rolled up hearing before the High Court for one and a half days on the 14th of October. So if the court thinks that there is a case that is at least arguable, the claim will proceed to a substantive hearing immediately.
6: We'll see.
0: I think it would be quite something for the court to quash the use classes changes. And I think clients should consider to plan strategically on the basis it will remain in force. But you'd have to exercise some caution before implementing anything under it until at least mid-October when we'll know if this has legs. I'm sure the planning court will, will expedite a decision on something as important as it shouldn't be too long to wait. Anyway, I've decided that because youth classes are so fiddly, you've all been good sports, we should play a quick game of youth classes bingo based on university challenge with Claire, Joe, Jess, uh, as the contestants, and by proxy, our listeners.
4: I don't think this sounds like bingo at all, but let's do it. All right.
0: I, I, I even have a kid's toy with a bell, so so to be very professional. So question one, as a basic principle, if your unit moves its use within the same use class in the use class's order, say you go from selling toys to selling washing machines, do you need planning permission?
1: No, you don't.
0: No. Exactly. No, you don't, because uh, that's the whole point of of, of use class E. If you move within the various paragraphs of use class E, you don't need permission. But two, if your unit moves from one use class to another different use class and there are no permitted development rights, what do you have to do?
4: You'd need to apply for planning permission.
0: Exactly right. Uh, What happens to A1 shops? a2 financial professional services and a3 restaurants and cafes and b1 offices
3: they've moved to class e
0: very good what happened to a4 drinking establishments and a5 hot food takeaways
3: they have been reallocated as sui generis youth
0: and why does that matter
3: because to change youth you would always need talent positions
0: yay right the switch from an old use that now falls in class E into class C e is automatic. But what restrictions or other consents, hint, hint, might stop a tenant from just switching willy nilly?
3: You might need planning consent if you're changing the retail frontage or carrying out structural alterations inside, um, or if it's a listed building, you might need listed building consents to bring about the change of use.
0: Great, but also to think think about real estate law. There might also be
4: restrictive covenants in the lease.
0: Very good. How long <laughs> we use the old permitted development rights before they get replaced with new ones that take account of Class E? What's the betting down period?
3: To, till July 2021.
0: Very good. And can councils use Article Four directions to put a dampener on all of this by stopping changes within Class E? No. <laughs> That's it the answer is they can't um, but th- but they might be able to put article four directions in place over
3: permitted development rights.
0: but that's more around where future permitted development rights to be introduced next year might allow the new class e to jump off into <laughs> very good right now that was very exciting well done that was that was seven out of seven let's get a word from john on whether the changes to the use classes order in his view change the high street and what opportunities he sees opening up for our clients.
2: Here's John. From any investor's perspective, I think the the reduction of of red tape in terms of of, of how you use your property going forward is is always going to be something that's that's welcomed um, by the industry. It's certainly uh, you know something that I know some of some of the clients I work with um, will, will find that that flexibility is helpful. I think what one trend that we've we've seen is is over time the uh, general period of leases um has has reduced from you know some time ago a 10 or 15 or even 20 year lease um could be commonplace uh, for some occupiers whereas now we're seeing people sort of occupying under far more short-term basis which i think means that uh, landlords will be seeing uh, more of a turnover in in their tenants um, may even be seeing sort of pop-up occupiers um, and so on. And so the ability to to, to sort of change and have that flexibility um, is certainly something that, that's, that's going to be beneficial to them. I think in terms of um, who's going to win or perhaps who, who might be disadvantaged through this, I think some of that is, is going to come down to particular drivers. One being your, your actual property itself and in terms of its, its physical characteristics. Um, some properties might be easily adapted from one use to another, um, whereas some might be far more problematic. Um, and in those circumstances, it might not be the case that the the landlord or the tenant um, wants to make a significant financial investment in the property at this time um, to, to, to make the, those changes and, uh, and flexibility. So I think in terms of sort of normal market rules apply in many respects that, that a lot of this will depend on the property and, and, and where it is, and particularly on the point of where it is, um, then considers actually who are um your your local potential occupiers um and on what are the sort of wider economic sort of factors at play in your local area in terms of is this an area that that the businesses um are keen to trade in. Obviously, if that is, then then that's a helpful thing um to 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 to, to start with. Obviously, if it's a place that that needs a lot more support in terms of, of, of regenerating or, or bringing people back into the high street, um, then there's gonna need to be some some sort of wider interventions uh, which help to make that high street more vibrant that, that reach far beyond just being able to, to have a change of, of one or two of the, the, the occupiers that you might see there.
0: Always a fantastic strategic insight. I also caught up with Sarah Bevan on what she hopes the use classes order changes will achieve. Yes, Sarah.
5: We were really pleased when the government announced its reform of the use classes order to create Class E. We've been campaigning for a general class for town centre uses since the launch of our High Streets manifesto, which was pre-COVID. It was already clear to us that the structural changes in the retail sector were rendering the order out of date. In particular, the growing trend for experience led shopping as retailers fought to attract footfall amid growing online sales. And the thing about creative, experience-led retail is that it often straddles two or more of the historic use classes. The other reason it was needed was because of the growing demand for shorter-term lets and increasing numbers of pop-ups. New Class E gives landlords the agility to flip between different uses in a much more agile way. Previously, it might have taken longer to get a planning permission for change of use than a pop-up actually wanted to be in situ, so why would a landlord bother? This new flexibility makes it so much easier and therefore will reduce vacancy rates. It's clear
0: the use classes order changes, create opportunities, but they're no panacea. And I thought it would be interesting for Sarah to share the wider range of measures London First are campaigning for. Sarah again.
5: Our manifesto also set out a number of other recommendations to support high streets and town centres. Further help with reducing vacancies would be for local authorities to set up a meanwhile use register for startups, SMEs, arts organisations and community groups looking for short-term lets. This would provide an easy one-stop shop for landlords who have vacant space, And in London, this could be administered by the GLA. We're aware that one London borough has started applying a planning condition to permissions, asking for a vacant unit management strategy, and we think this is a fantastic idea and that should be rolled out as standard practice. And lastly, we firmly believe that every town centre should introduce a town centre management strategy to leverage investment and expertise from local businesses, draw together the council departments involved in town centre management, and best rely on planning, licensing and regeneration.
0: Well, I think that's a wrap. A lot of interesting ideas there. The journey to total revitalisation of the uh, UK's high streets will clearly continue. But thank you for listening to the Planning Life Insights of Brian. You've been listening to Claire Eccles, uh, Joe Tyler, Jess Lowe, and me, Sheridan Traeger of BCLP Planning, with the indomitable John Sayer of CBRE and Sarah Bevan of London First, as well as Giles Pink and Rebecca Chambers of BCLP. You'll be hearing from us again, and the Planning Life Insights of Brian will return with more on what you need to know about the UK planning system. Keep well and keep safe.